we're starting a brand new series this morning, uh, which is fun and exciting. Uh, we're going to just do this for like four weeks, maybe six weeks. It resonates. I can do whatever the heck I want. So we might do six weeks. Who knows? Um, but uh, I'm really excited about this. Uh, and what I want to do for us right now, um, and I kind of sense this in the room as we were worshiping, is just, you know, like if there's not a moment that we can take to just kind of do what matters most and just take a moment to calm, take a moment to center ourselves in church, there's really no moment you're going to do that anywhere else. So what I would like us to do is, um, I asked Jomid just on the, on, the, on the whim here, just to stay up for five seconds, and, and if we could all just bow our heads. What I just want to do is just kind of center us. Uh, yeah, these, these series are not just kind of me just talking, but they're conversations. Uh, so they're, they're moments in which we, as a church community, get to talk with each other about this stuff throughout the week. Uh, and that's the hope. It's not just that I can talk to you and make a good point and be funny and whatever. Um, it's that we as a community actually get the chance to center and talk about what matters most. So just for 30 seconds, we're just going to take some silence and we're going to prepare ourselves for what God wants to do in the room, not what me wants to do in the room. Um, so, yeah, let's just be quiet for a second. God, it's so rare that in our lives we actually get to take a moment and just be quiet. We live, for the most part, on the west side of Los Angeles, which is a constant barrage of noise um, and new problems. And so I just pray that we could take a moment and just look at that in the face and just say, hey, yeah, no, we're, we're all dealing with this. We're going to leave this place and that same noise is going to happen. Someone's going to honk on us at the freeway. Someone's going <laughs> to bump into us at the grocery store. All of these things are going to happen. But God, this is a rare moment that we get to focus on you. We get to focus on our lives uh, and your plan for our lives. And so I just, I pray over this space and these people, uh, you prepare our hearts for something new as we, as we venture into the fall and we venture into what we're going to do at Resonate. Amen. Amen. All right, gang. Um, so I want to just spend a quick four-week series on support, and more than that, friends, and more than that, characters. So we, if you've spent any time in church, you have kind of gone through uh, stories in the Bible. Stories are the thing that carry the Bible forward. So we have David and Goliath. We have... Jesus on the cross. We have all these amazing narratives. Uh, and yet, I think, if we're being honest, especially in Los Angeles, uh, we are all walking through our lives as the star of our own movie. So think about that, and especially in LA terms, we're all kind of going through life just kind of going like, I'm the star, everyone else is supporting me, and we'll, 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 we'll get there. Uh, but that's not always the truth. You are in multiple times in your life, both the main character 
the supporting character, and guess what, guys? And this is something I got to cop to too. Probably the villain more than you'd like to say, right? We we all hold these character moments. Uh, but what I want to do just for a quick series is just focus on some of those characters that in the Bible, they move the narrative along, right? We've got the main guys, right? We've got David, we've got Goliath, we've got Jesus, we've got, uh, we've got Peter, we've got Paul, we've got all of these like kind of really charismatic characters that move the story forward. And yet, I think the people that are surrounding those characters have not gotten enough attention. Uh, and so I wanna, I wanna spend just a little bit of time just talking about those characters. Um, there's a guy named Jabez. Has anyone heard of Jabez? You may have heard of him if you've heard of the Jabez prayer. That's the only reason you've heard of him. He has one line in the Old Testament. That's the only line he has. And yet, if it weren't for Jabez, we would not have the second temple. Like, I mean, so this one little guy with one line in the story may have just one little line, but he moves the story along in a crazy, crazy way. Uh, and there are people in your life, and you may be this person to someone else, that you might just have one line. And then it moves their story along in an insane way. I can look back on my story and kind of go like, man, there have been people that just threw a one-liner out there and changed the trajectory of my entire life. And they didn't know they were doing that. They just thought they were being nice and like, hey, look, Gabriel, Josh, whatever, and just saying whatever they wanted. And at the same time, that shifted my whole life. And I'm sure that everyone in this room has someone that said just a one-line thing or a one-off thing or had a coffee meeting, something like that, in which you kind of look back on that and you go like, you know, that changed me more than you can ever know. Uh, I want to brag on someone real quick. Uh, Omid's birthday was this last week. If we could all embarrass him, he's going to get the iPad right now. But if we could all just, I'm not going to sing happy birthday or anything. But uh, Omid said something to me in a, in a one-off meeting just a couple weeks ago that I think is vitally important. And I think it's vitally important for this whole church and for everyone uh, who is an adult. Because guess what, guys? As an adult, especially in L.A., um, if you've moved here, in which everyone besides my wife and my family on that side has, uh, you're a transplant here. And as an adult, it's really, really, really difficult to make new friends. Uh, and I mean that in terms of like real legitimate friends, like the friends you can tell everything to. Uh, and Omid said something to me the other week when we were, uh, had a glass of wine and we were just there and he's like, hey, I just want you to know uh, there's, you can, there's nothing you can say that will shock me. And, and there's nothing you can say that I won't be like terrified by and say I'm not gonna be your friend anymore and peace out. And I just thought to myself, and I'm bragging on because it's his birthday, but I thought to myself, I was like, there's, it's so rare for an adult. I mean, literally, you have to like look at this like over the age of 18 to say something so vulnerable and so real. Uh, to say like, hey, I'll be your friend if you'll let me in. How rare is that? We don't get that. We don't get that. Support comes when you're young, right? A perfect example of this is, uh, we have this slide here. This is an example of friendship when you're tiny and you're a kid. What's your name? <laughs> Terry, wanna be friends? Okay, boom, right? <laughs> That's all it takes, right? Uh, let's look at this as an adult situation in the same duck 
Uh, sure, we eat lunch together sometimes, but does that make us friends or just friendly coworkers? Maybe they're just being polite. Oh God, they're probably just hating me. That, if we're honest, is adult relationships. And guys, that's what makes small groups so hard. That's what makes church so hard. That's what makes life so hard, is that we're not able to actually let each other in. And that's so sad. We don't need to do that, right? In every one of you, and in myself included, there is a little kid who's still on that swing set, still going, I can't wait to get to know the person next to me. And just because they're wearing the same hat as me, sorry, I'm gonna use a hat example, the same hat as me, I'm gonna be their friend. That's all it used to take. Now, for some reason, we have to be politically aligned, we have to have like the same interests, we have to do the same things. There's still a little kid in you, and when Jesus points out what he wants you to be like, he often points to a child or something young and says, hey, these are the ones that have it right. Because they're open, they're available, they're ready to take it in. And I think that the biggest shift in our church in the next year, we're coming into our third year of like ministry and church and all that kind of stuff, if we're not growing closer together and opening up in a big way, uh, I don't know what it's for. And so we're gonna start on this journey and I think the best way to do that is to start by talking about the friends in the Bible. So there are people that God calls in weird little situations, but the fun thing is he never calls them just to be like, hey, I just want you to be a servant, I want you to like get out there, I want you to do something. Most often, he's seriously just calling them to be friends. He's, he's calling them to be a friend. And, and that's like scary as all get out. Uh, my wife and I got to take an awesome trip this summer, and we started in London, and we were at this uh, museum in London. Um, I don't remember what it was called, but we were, we were in the front of it, and this lady just comes careening around the corner, screaming at the top of her lungs. She's like, help, 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 help. These people took my phone. And then you just see these two guys on bikes just go and like they, they went right past me, right? Uh, and this lady is like, like just fierce. She's like, they took my phone, they took my wallet, they took my everything, and I, is no one going to help? So naturally, me being the five foot six white guy that I am, I'm gonna go run after these bicycles. So I will run after these bicycles <laughs> uh, and run as fast as I can. I, I can't catch up to them. And then in the midst of running, I go, what, what, what am I going to do? If I catch them, what am I going to do, right? And so I'm like, I'm like I'm chasing and I got it down and then, and then I see them careen around a corner uh, and I'm relieved because I realized I can't catch them. <laughs> uh, because honestly, guys, if I caught them, they would just kill me. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be good, right? Uh, but I thought about it, and the reason I got so fired up about it, and the reason that I took off in the first place, which Chelsea's is just there in front of a museum in London, like, where, where did my husband go? Only one of us has a cell phone, because we're traveling internationally, she can't call me. I've just gone careening down an alleyway towards two bicycles, like, and she's, she, guys, she knows. I'm gonna get my butt kicked, it's fine. Uh, but we get there, and, and, and I, I, it's my microphone. Yep. I had to talk to her for a bit because I was like, I don't know what in me went like, why, 
why would I go chase after someone? And then it occurred to me, I was like, I think deep down, uh, the biggest crisis we're all dealing with is that it's that, it's that lady going like, is no one going to help? Is no one going to help? And the truth is like, that's 90% that's of our lives. We just go through and we just don't help, right? Um, and something in me went like, even my little skinny boy self can go and get my butt kicked, but at the same time, at least I'm doing something, right? And time after time again in scripture, we see people that really should have no business doing what they're doing, and they do it, and because of that, they're recorded in all of history. And we look at them, and we look at them, and we go, man, well done, good job. And it's, it's, it's just a moment of vulnerability, right? So that story of me is not a hero story. That story is me, like, it could have ended with me being shanked in the, in the ribs. Like, that, that's not great. And at the same time, I don't think it's always a great story, right? If we're going to be intimate with people, if we're going to be vulnerable with people, it's not always going to be the hero's journey. It's going to be messy moments of tears. It's going to be messy moments of kind of like, oh, here's all my stuff. What do I do with this here? But those messy moments truly bring us together. Do you guys remember the moment when you were a kid and you just had a sleepover with someone, right? And you would, in the middle of the night, just say your deepest, darkest secrets or, or just throw those out, right? And those deepest, darkest secrets were probably the littlest things in the whole world. And yet, that brought you closer to that person than anything that you're doing as an adult. You can't do that over happy hour, right? You can't do that over just a meal. You have to actually like put yourself in those moments. And I think when we look through the Bible as we're reading through the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are these characters in there that kind of lend themselves to this vulnerability and to this sort of intimacy in a way that we don't do anymore. Uh, and those characters are often people that we don't, even in the Bible, we kind of brush past and we don't, do anything. Um, give an example of an awesome character in my life. We, we all have great care. I know there's someone in your life that you think about all the time when you're kind of like, oh, who's like the craziest person I've ever met, right? Like there, there's always, there's always someone. For me, uh, I got sent to, um, I've told this many times in church, but I got sent to fat camp when I was, uh, when I was 12. It was a hiking camp. But honestly, I was overweight. My parents just sent me to a hiking camp, not to fat camp. Anyway, uh, we went, and, uh, and in the middle of what's called the Great Range, we took, and if you know me and my wife, we're not campers. It's amazing that I survived this journey. Anyway, uh, we went to this thing called the Great Range. It's this, it's this mountain range of six mountains in the Adirondacks. Uh, it, it's in upstate New York, and, and you'd hike them all. So we endeavored on this journey. Uh, and I mean, this camp got shut down because it should have been shut down. They took a 17-year-old, right? That was my counselor. That's it. I was 12. There were three 12-year-olds and a 17-year-old in the middle of nowhere in the Adirondacks. No cell phone, no medical, no nothing. Just like, hey, yeah, you're good. There we go. It's since been shut down, and it should have been a long time ago. And I tried to call and write my parents and say this should have been shut down. Anyway, uh, we go out. And we're there, and we're hiking this big mountain range, and we're carrying these big backpacks. 
And along the way, we meet this German man named Hans, which sounds fake, and I'm sorry, this whole thing is gonna sound fake, but I promise you, this is real. We meet a man named Hans. He's hiking the Great Range as well, and he decides that with a group of 12-year-olds and a 17-year-old, maybe it's great if I just pop on this journey with them. Not weird at all. Not like the camp should be shut down, right? Anyway, uh, hops on, but Hans can only speak just a little bit of English. Uh, and and his, his big phrase was, uh, he learned my name, and I became friends with him because I could speak a little Dutch because I lived in Holland. Uh, so we could like just barely kind of make out what we were talking about, and and he would yell at me. There's a group of like, you know, four campers and the counselor, and I'm obviously trailing the back end. Uh, and this Hans fellow would just be hiking with this huge camp thing, and he would scream to the front, Josh, and I would say yes, sir, <laughs> and he would say, Are you hiking good? And I would be like, Yes. And he'd be like, Are you feeling good? And I was like. No, like, but, but I, would, I, would, I would answer him honestly every time, and this question would come three times an hour. So you'd just be hiking along. Josh, are you hiking good? Uh, I guess now I am. Like, are you feeling good? I don't know, sir. And then you just keep going, keep going, keep going. But Hans was a character, right? He's hilarious. He's not real, and yet he was very real, uh, but shouldn't be real. Um, and yet, that character for me, going through the Great Range as a little pudgy 12-year-old, was a great thing. <laughs> I made it, because Hans would do, like continually throw that saying at me and move me forward. There are people that you're going to encounter, and people in your life that are going to be strange, that are going to be weird, but at the same time, they might move the story forward. And that's literally what God does in our lives. He uses people, and they might not be our choicest people. They might not be all together. They might not be the greatest, but they're going to help us move forward. And I think that the greatest example in this in Scripture is a story that's been told time and time and time again. But I hope we can look at it in sort of a different lens this morning, uh, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And you've heard this story if you've been in church for even just a minute. It's a fave. Like, it's a great, it's, it's one of the best hits, right? But I think that there is something to the Good Samaritan that every time we look at it, we can glean something new. Uh, and so this morning, I took a deep dive this week on the Good Samaritan, so I want to share this with you. And I'm hoping that we can glean something a little bit new from the story, because here's the deal with the Good Samaritan. The lead character in the Good Samaritan is actually the Jewish person that's lying on the side of the road. We often put the Good Samaritan in the lead role because he's doing the most, but the lead character is not the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is the support character. It's the person that's coming in going like, oh wow, this is a story I'm not supposed to be in. And culturally, we're gonna learn about that. So I, I just wanna go through this and we'll, uh, we'll kinda go line by line. Uh, this is in Luke. And what's interesting about the Good Samaritan, by the way, it's only in one gospel. Luke is the only gospel that contains this story, and this story is one of the most powerful stories that Jesus tells, and yet in three other gospels it's not there. And here's what's really cool about that. Luke, the same author that authors Luke, is the same author that authors Acts. So the first book that we have after Jesus is gone is the same author 
And the only link that connects the two, the only story that's there that's not in the other ones is the Good Samaritan. And so for some reason, this author wanted us to know, especially after Jesus is now ascended and gone, I want you to know this story. Because for this author, this was the most important story. So let's go through it, and we'll do a little line-by-line thing. Uh, On one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this is not a Jewish question. Uh, That's a Christian question. So that's normal for us, but for the Jewish people, their whole way of life was not that I'm just going to die and go to heaven. Their whole way of life is there's a resurrection that's going to come. We just went to Israel. When you go to Israel and you're on the Mount of Olives, there are these huge amounts of graves that are right there beneath you as you look at the city of Jerusalem. And the re- it costs $500,000 to be buried there. The reason for that is that people want a short commute. Once the resurrection happens, they'll pop up. They'll go right to the temple in Jerusalem. It turns out that even in the afterlife, we want a short commute, right? So these people are, are paying this amount of money to be right near the temple because in a certain way they believe that like that's going to happen later. So this is not a Jewish question and it seems normal to us, but this is actually a very deep and profound question, one that Jesus has to actually answer in a new way, in a way that wouldn't be normal. This is not a dinner question, right? And for us as Christians, unfortunately, we look too much towards like the afterlife and not just towards right here and now. Uh, And so this is something that Jesus is saying, like, if you're going to inherit this life to come, you might want to focus on the life that you have right now. So he talks about it this way. Uh, What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now we've gone through this verse multiple times in the last couple weeks, so we're not going to labor on it, but this is the Shema. This is a prayer that the Jewish person would pray in the morning and in the evening. It was everything, right? So they're saying, like, I know I know exactly what the, the most intense command is. It's this one. Uh, and we're going to move on, and it says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. And we brush past that all the time. Right? Do this and you will live. But like he's saying, if you're actually taking this Shema seriously, if you're actually leaning into that, you're going to live. Uh, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and this is him being like, well, I didn't get the answer that I wanted, so now I'm going to double down. He says, uh, uh, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, as Jesus does, does not answer a question, but goes off on a long story, much like your favorite crazy uncle. So Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And we don't often focus on this half part, but that's extremely important, half dead. Hold on to that for just one second. Uh, A priest happened to be going down the same road And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Next slide, please. Uh, So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by the other side. Now, we just view this kind of in a, 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 to lack of a better term, a passing way. Like, you're going to see this person. You're going to go on the other side. The reason Jesus says half dead 
And the reason he leaves that in there and the reason that's so important is that think about someone who's half dead, right? What would you have to do to discover that they are not all the way dead, <laughs> right? You could shout at them. You could say, hey man, you doing okay? Probably not the best course of action. Or you could go up to them and you could touch them and you could shake them, you could feel for a pulse, you could do all of the kind of things that we would do to make sure that, that person is alive, right? The priest and the Levite are in two precarious situations where they can't go and actually touch this person because if they touch the person, they're made ritually unclean, which means they can't do their job, right? They can't go to work on Monday. So if they go and they touch the person, they would have to then go to the temple, if he's dead, they would have to then go to the temple and do the ritual baths and do this whole kind of song and dance before they were able to actually do their job again. So what they're doing in passing them by is not just an uncaring act, it's a, I don't know how I'm gonna provide for my family if I go and touch this person. I don't know how I'm gonna pay the bills. Like, my wife could be pissed at me. A lot of things could happen. I don't know how I'm going to survive if I touch this person. So this is not a commentary where Jesus is just saying these people are totally uncaring and wanna go the other way. He's saying that your religiosity is getting in the way of your care of natural human beings and you should look at your leaders to see that they're not doing the right thing. They're passing this person by, not out of a lack of care, but out of a obligation to responsibility, to religious responsibility. And so you have a priest and a Levite who are two high up temple people coming down the road and they're just gonna zip this person by because if I touch them, oh, you know what? Can't get that sweet, sweet tithe on Sunday, right? Like they, they can't, fulfill their religious responsibilities. But a Samaritan, and we've gone into this a lot, but a Samaritan is like the worst thing you could be. If you're a Jewish person, a Samaritan is the opposite of that, and it's not just the opposite, it's like a fierce opposite. And what's really <laughs> funny and rare is that they're both descended from the same kind of tribe, so they're, they're actually like the same family, and yet they hate each other. It's kind of like us, uh, if you're a non-denominational person and Catholics. For some reason, we don't understand Catholics and we're like, those people that have almost the exact same beliefs we do, we're, we're gonna totally go the other way. So like they don't, they don't understand uh, the difference and yet they're fiercely opposite. So a Samaritan coming along the way is a crazy thing uh, to get involved in a Jewish deal. As he traveled, uh, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw them, and he took pity on them. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own docky and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and two denarii is like not a small amount of money. It's, it's two days' wages. So that's saying like for two days I've worked, and for two days I'm gonna pay for this person and I don't have, we, we have no inclination that the Samaritan is a wealthy person. They're probably giving out of just their daily wage. Uh, and he said, look after him. And he said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man that fell on the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
Now what's super fun, and what's super fun about this series is that this word neighbor in the Greek is actually a word for friend. It's not just neighbor, it's not just your person that's in the same apartment building you are next door to your house. It's a friend. So Jesus is just asking like, hey, who's the person closest to you? He's saying, who do you think was a friend here? Who's a friend? And even this person who was trying to trap Jesus had to say, in your story, the friend was the person that I might hate the most. It was the person that actually lent their intimacy, their life, their money, their everything towards a person that they had nothing in common with. We have a biblical call to be friends with people, not just neighbors to people. And that's super important. I think too often we've leaned into the neighbor definition and not the friend definition. And the friend definition, unfortunately, guys, takes much more work than the neighbor one. You're stuck with your neighbors, right? They're the people that are next to you. You're not stuck with your friends. You choose those. And God is constantly going to be pushing us to make more friends and to be a friend to people. And that goes way beyond just neighbors. So in the next couple weeks, as we explain these kind of weird, we're going to go through, uh, next week we'll do Simon um, the Tanner who uh, was described as worse than someone that picks up dog feces. Uh, we'll do Jabez. We'll do, uh, we'll do Moses, which we think of Moses as lead character, but actually he's a support character in a lot of different ways, and we'll, we'll explore that. Uh, and then lastly, of course, we'll end with Jesus, and we'll explain why this character was the most supportive and, and had the craziest ideas about who's your friend who's your neighbor and all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited about this. Bring your friends to this. Invite people. We're going to have so much fun exploring these weird stories in the Bible. Uh, and what's fun about this is we're going to explore stuff that like you don't often get to hear in church and don't often like talk about these characters. So it's a, it's a rare moment for us. And then after that four weeks, I want to do a series uh, about home and what it means to be home. And more than that, I want to do a series about Los Angeles. So we're going to talk Los Angeles within a biblical sense and why I think this really is the coolest city in the world. Uh, and it gets such a bad rap, especially by the people who live here. <laughs> and so we're going to go through what it means to really be an Angelino and what it means to uh, own that. So let me pray for us and then we'll get out of here. God, I'm so thankful for uh, this space for the ability to, um, to talk about what it means to be a friend, to talk about what it means to be a neighbor, uh, and how important that is in the city that we live in, in a city that seems so um, callous and kind of transient and not permanent. We're here to be the hands and feet of something that's way more permanent, um, and so we recognize that. Amen.